Welcome to Engage Your World, the podcast of Engage 360. We are continuing on in our series looking at the evangelistic encounters in the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 10 today, and I'm joined by Joshua Erlene, uh, one of our trainers, and uh, really excited to dive into this passage. It's going to be somewhat similar to what we covered in Acts 9. Uh, and a lot of the context here is not necessarily directly related to evangelism, but very significant in the implications that it has, not only for the apostles, not only for the early New Testament church, but really for the rest of history. And so I'm excited to dive in this conversation. Thanks for joining me, Josh. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. All right. So We'll set up a lot of context, and for those, maybe if this is the first time you've listened to the podcast or this series that we're doing, uh, it will be just a little bit different. We will get into looking at the evangelistic encounter that occurs between uh, Peter and Cornelius and all, all that were invited to his house and what uh, Peter shares, how he goes about it. Um, typically, what we've been looking at is just an evangelistic encounter and the principles used, uh, the different approach, and what's similar, what's different about other evangelistic encounters in the book of Acts, and kind of doing an analysis of that, breaking it down according to uh, an acronym that we use in our training uh, that spells out gospel, G, gauge your audience, O, offer common ground, S, shift to Christianity, the gospel, P, uh, provide evidence that it's true, E, explain the gospel, and L, leave with a clear next step. And so we will look at that a little bit here towards the end, but I thought this is just a really good point to dig in and and see the significance for, again, all of history with what happens in this encounter between Peter and uh, this Roman centurion Cornelius. So Josh, why don't you set us up here a little bit? What is the significance of this individual uh, Cornelius? Why is it such a big deal? Um, and what's different from him about some of the other evangel- evangelistic encounters that had happened previously? Yeah, so Luke introduces um, this man uh, who lives in the city of Caesar- uh, Caesarea, and his name is Cornelius. He's a centurion, and he's a, he's an important guy in the Roman army. So not only is he uh, a Gentile and a Roman, but he's also part of the army, Right. Uh, so this probably raised some eyebrows uh, for maybe first-time readers, but uh, this would have been a little bit perhaps jarring uh, to a, a Jewish audience that, hey, isn't this the guy that, um, or isn't he one of them? You know, the Romans, we wanted them out and all of that. But uh, So Cornelius is uh, introduced into the story He's not a Jew, but he fears God. And God takes note of him. And he orchestrates this. This is, I mean, right out of the shoot, I can't help it. But there's an interesting application here about, you know, God being in the gospel encounters. And, you know, we really need to be praying uh, that God would continue to be in the gospel encounters that we have too. But um, so God initiates something with Cornelius here. And this is going to be something something new, that the, this gospel message that at this point in the story that Luke is telling is going uh, mainly, if not exclusively, 
to the Jews. Now, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, maybe he was an exception. Maybe there was a few uh, non, uh, non-Jews or Gentiles that the gospel was going to, but this is the, this is the first encounter. So Luke is introducing us to a significant uh, Gentile figure and how he's going to relate to the gospel or how the gospel relates to him more appropriately. And does it apply to him? And this is kind of the the question that God is going to deal with here. Right. Yeah, I, I find it fascinating that of the very limited number of Roman centurions who are mentioned in the beginning of the New Testament, uh, the Gospels and Acts, you have two uniquely identified individuals or that, that God won through Jesus and his earthly ministry in the Roman centurion that has a servant who he is asking Jesus to come and heal. And then here, uh, this uh, interaction between Cornelius. But you have two Roman centurions which represent the military power of Rome which is the very thing that many of the Jews thought the Messiah was coming to get rid of, and yet they are identified as these uniquely uh, sincere, God-fearing men. And with the first in Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, he is called out as, uh, and, and Jesus says, there's no one in Israel have I seen such faith, and sets this Roman centurion up as the example of faith that the Jews are to follow. And not only was that enough that how repulsive of an idea, how absurd of an idea that would have been to them, but in that instance, Jesus not being content to just leave it at that says uh, to push it even further and, and put rub some salt in the open wound says, for I tell you, Many will come from east to west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, while the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. And there there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, again, we we miss the cultural significance of that incident and what's going on here. We can begin to, you know, through study or even what I'm sharing now, maybe it, it's a new light for you to understand it, but we still can't fully imagine what that would have been like at that time to those people and how absurd it would have seemed. And so there's something very significant going on here. And you had, you know, you had mentioned uh, Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch, and here's another Gentile, seemingly God-fearing Gentile, who God sees, God knows, and sends one of uh, the followers of Christ uh, to share the gospel with him, to help him fully understand. And here we have another incident with Cornelius and this man who has been seeking God uh, seems to have at least some right understanding of God. And so uh, through this amazing incident, uh, it brings the gospel to him. So maybe Josh, go ahead and share a little bit for when who hasn't read. It's quite a long text, so we won't read all of it, but maybe set up uh, just how the interaction unfolds and some highlights of, of the process of how Peter and Cornelius come together. Yeah, yeah. First, I wanted to point out something else, too, about Cornelius. So God is not rewarding Cornelius for being such a, a wonderful person. You know, he's not—Cornelius is not earning his salvation. His salvation. 
Yeah, because we have to remember. I mean, so he lists these things that that show us that he is very devout and he's he's very sincere. You know, he gives uh, he's very generous. He gives alms. Um, you know, he's uh, I mean, he does all these things that demonstrate something is going on on the inside of him. But remember that God is sending him the gospel and the gospels for sinners, <laughs> you know, and uh, and so. Uh, Cornelius is a sinner just like others and needs to be saved by the grace of God. These things that that he's identified as doing, they do not save him. They do not make him ready for heaven or anything like that. He needs the gospel and that's what, uh, that's what God sends to him. So, um, so there's this, this guy uh, in Caesarea, God comes to him in a vision or God sends a, an angel to him in a vision and tells him, uh, go to Joppa and ask for a guy by the name of Simon. It's also called Peter. Okay. Ask for Simon and he's going to live, he's going to be living in a house uh, with a guy named, also named Simon. Two Simons. And the house is by the sea. So find Simon by the sea. <laughs> And in his house, you're going to find Simon, who's also called Peter, and invite him to come and listen to what he has to say. And so uh, Cornelius doesn't waste any time. He sends he sends some servants out. Uh, I think it's some soldiers, if I remember correctly. I think a couple of servants um, and maybe a guard, something like that, it seems like. Yeah. And so he sends, sends to Peter. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, God is preparing Peter, uh, who is... You know, a devout Jew, he's preparing him for the arrival of these Gentiles. Peter, he's up on the roof. Uh, he's waiting for uh, lunch or something. I mean, he's hungry and um, he has this vision. He goes, falls into a trance and he sees this sheet come down from heaven. And on the sheet is all these four-footed animals, presumably uh, unclean animals. And then he hears a voice saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, ah, I know this one. Nope. This is a trick. Nothing unclean has ever touched. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, nothing unclean has ever touched these lips. I'm not going to do it. You know, I, I, I won't do it. Forbid it. You know, um, then it happens again. And well, no, first God says, hey, don't call what God has made clean, unclean. Hmm. And then it happens again. And um, it happens three times. So this is to establish the fact in Peter's mind uh, and in ours that God is communicating something. So there's a message here. And, and yeah, Peter is to get this principle, you know, by, uh, he says, what God has cleansed, no longer considered defiled. That's verse 15. Um, Don't consider it unclean if I've made it clean. And so now all of this is to prepare Peter for uh, somebody arrives at the door. And presumably Peter, who's on the roof, can hear these people arriving and they're asking for um, Simon, who's called Peter. And and then just to kind of cement it um, in his own mind, uh, Peter is told, God tells him, uh, go with these men. Don't have any misgivings. And, you know, it's connected to what I just showed you about the the vision. Remember the principle that we learned just now, Peter? Don't have misgivings about these guys. 
when they invite you to go, go with them. And so uh, he invites the men in, they stay, and, and the next day, that's when they get up and they head back to Caesarea. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. One of the things that stood out to me, so he's it's not just Peter going and he takes some of the brothers with him. They accompany him, and so there could be a whole multitude of reasons. It's complete speculation, I will admit that. But you you wonder if part of the reason these men go with him is because this is such a crazy event in, in their minds. This is such a change. Uh, this is overcoming these barriers in such a way that there may need to be a number of witnesses to establish no, this all really happened. <laughs> this was legit and uh, a very significant. And then, you know, they, they didn't know even what they were in for. And as we kind of get to the last half of the episode here, looking at the evangelistic encounter and what happens after and the response, uh, there's no way they could have fathomed what they were about to enter into. I, I just, I don't think there's any way, even from what we have in the text, I think we'll see that, that they they could not have imagined what they were getting themselves into and what God was about to do through them. What's fascinating as this unfolds, so I'll read this portion for everyone. Um, as the discussion, as Peter and, and his his crew arrive and they're welcomed in uh, to Cornelius's house, um, Peter then preaches the good news. And so uh, what we have recorded, starting in Acts 10, verse 34, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he was the one anointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So here we have, again, keeping in context that this uh, Cornelius is... Uh, a God-fearer, he has attended the synagogue, he's aware of the religion of the Jews. So he's going to have familiarity with at least some of these things, and though it's not exactly clear why, uh, I don't I don't think, see anything from the text, I, I don't think there's a context where we know this, but from what Peter shares, it seems like he's at least heard of the uh, acts of Jesus, that what Jesus did in his earthly ministry. He's somehow aware of that. And so what Peter is doing is putting all the pieces together. Uh, again, some of these Old Testament prophecies, prophets that, that Cornelius seemingly would have had at least some awareness of, um, putting together the life and events of, around the life of Jesus and the significance of it, and then how salvation is through him. And so, 
you know, he he understands who his audience is, um, and so it's a unique situation because you have a Gentile but who has awareness of the Jewish uh, scriptures of the law and the prophets of those things. So he appeals to that because that makes sense. But he's also presenting really the historical context, the significance of the life and the acts and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, um, explaining the gospel as the way to overcome that. Um, You know, it's interesting that Peter opens up saying that anyone who fears him anywhere and does what is right is acceptable to him. Well, the question is, well, what is right? Well, there's there's sort of a what's right in living the way that God has set out for us, um, seeking Him uh, alone, uh, forsaking idols, forsaking other gods, those types of things. But that's not acceptable unto salvation. And so there's this this step, and and it goes back to what you said early on, uh, Josh, that. Uh, Though Simon was a sincere, devout God-fearer, and he sought God, that in response to that, he's not saved, but instead God sends the gospel, which is the message of salvation. So for Cornelius, it's not that what he did saved him, but somehow it works in such a way that because of what he did and the things that are mentioned here in the text in the book of Acts— God gives him, sends him the gospel through Peter. But we see the anticipation that he had for this in that it's not just that Cornelius went about his life, went about his day, and when Peter showed up, somebody had to run and get him and say, hey, uh, that guy's here whenever you have time. No, he is eagerly anticipating what is about to unfold. And he not only is prepared himself, but he invites many others into his household uh, to hear this message. And so he's waiting with eager anticipation, trusting uh, that God is sending something uh, unique to happen. And so I thought that was very uh, interesting, and it gets to this tension of there's, there's some way that we can sense what God is doing. There's Whether it's conviction of sin or God operating in the world or, or whatever, there are various ways people may have some sense of God. That doesn't save on its own, but at least in this instance, that was the context as to why God sent Peter to this man. And you see the eagerness with which he anticipates and responds to the message. Yeah, so uh, I wanted to point out a couple things. One, I think that we're going to take this in reverse order. So with the comment that you just said, um, it reminds me of the the parable that Jesus tells uh, in Matthew, um, the parable of the talents, and you know he gives this this uh, this master goes away, and he leaves some money with these with these three servants, right? And the first servant he's given like I forget five. And then the second one is given two, and then the the last one is given one. And the the guy who has five, man, he makes a huge return, gets five more. The guy who has two, he makes a really good return. I mean, it's 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 a good showing. He gets two more talents. Uh, the guy who has one, uh, he buries it and brings it back and says, "Okay, here's what you gave me. 
uh, I fulfilled all my obligation, you know, and he's like, I knew you'd be a hard man, all that. Well, um, what's interesting, I think, in this context is, you know, this, this last servant is rebuked. He should have done something with what he was given. And in verse 29 of Matthew 25, it says, For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And throw out the worthless slave into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, in fact, I think there's um, another parallel where that phrase, um, whoever has more will be given. Right. To whom much is Um, given, much is required. Yeah. And I think that, uh, oh, it's in Luke. Luke chapter 8, verse 18. He says, pay attention, therefore, how you listen. Whoever has will will be given more. But whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away from him. So there is a sense in which, um, you know, Cornelius was, had responded to the light that God had given. He responded in, in some kind of faith. And I think that this is, this is that parable playing out, that he's not the guy that hid it. You know, he's the guy that was given the two and, you know... Um, and he's given two more. And in other parables that Jesus tells, you know, of the the faithful servants, you know, they're they're given abundant rewards. You know, they they're given much more when when they act on, um, you know, what they or when they invest, so to speak, or appropriate what they had been given. And I, I think that Cornelius is uh, is a good example uh, of that principle. He uh, he acted in light of what he knew, and which leads me to the the first point I was gonna I was gonna point out is that when we talk about so whether Cornelius was familiar with the with the scriptures, uh, it's not at all it's not clear fully to me, um, but he was at least open to the scriptures, and I think that there's an important uh, point to be made here that. Um, you may find people, in fact, you will find people who are open to the authority of the scriptures. I mean, they at, they at least understand that, that God has spoken and it's the Bible, okay? And, you know, so when you say the Bible says this, they may not know that the Bible says that. So we should be willing to bring the scriptures to bear even if they're not familiar with, you might find people that are open to the scriptures. They believe that it's the word of God, but they don't know it. Yeah, we talk about that. You know, often you can't just use the Bible arbitrarily uh, or expect that just because it's in the Bible, everyone's going to accept it as authoritative, and therefore just believe whatever it says. There's a that's still different than recognizing that it can make sense to say, well, do you know that the Bible says? Um, And what's the response? So if you know somebody has already rejected the authority of the Bible, then that may not make as much sense. But I think back to your first example where what had happened with this woman who was a witch, living as a witch and and, uh, living, you know, participating in that, that this friend of hers who was a Christian was a friend who had obviously invested in her and the woman clearly knew that this Christian friend cared about her. And so there was a context. It wasn't just 
randomly walking up and, and throwing the Bible at her, but it was a very specific, intentional, after what likely was the development of a friendship, uh, to what degree, I don't know. Um, I'm not familiar with the story, but that jumps out to me, that there was a context for which in which she shared um, that may at least have broken down some of those barriers, op- opened uh, some doors. Yeah. But but the the encounter was not without risk. Sure, I mean definitely. I, if I mean I I can't sure. think of uh, of a scenario where your relationship is of a sort where you can show up, not only give your non believing friend a Bible, but but then show them <laughs> that they are condemned wow. from the very book that you just gave them. Um, you know that that was a risk, absolutely. And if God hadn't been behind it, um, you know that that could have gone that could have gone otherwise. Right. It, uh, you know, and and honestly, you know, there's you know individual personalities play a role mm-hmm. in how people share um, the message. I I would be interested to meet this uh, this Christian friend, um, and and just. You know, like what kind of a person does that? That's actually like that's really gutsy. Right. That's uh, um, and you know, and we need to be willing to take those risks. But also very loving in understood in the right context. Um, exactly. If if she's done the work to really establish a friendship, to show care, to show that she wills the good of this friend of hers, even though she's not following God, then she's willing to do the next loving thing, which is to show and to, to give the opportunity to respond um, because of what's been put in. So it, 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 if done well, it is a loving thing. It could be done out of pride. It could be done out of malice. It could be done in a number of ways, but it can be done genuinely out of love and care. And, uh, you know, it seems like if she didn't do that, then God overcame even more. But, uh, Based right, on the context, right. it's likely she was doing that out of a, a right heart and, and out of love. So, Yeah, and I think, and obviously, obviously God, you know, God put it to work. You right. know, God, um, you know, I, I, one of my favorite passages is, uh, is uh, Peter, in one of his letters, he says this, he said, he says, let him who speaks, speak as though speaking the very words of God. And let him who serves do so in the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised. Mm. I have had uh, situations in my life where somebody has said something to me, and and suddenly they've disappeared. They're no longer significant in, in my mind or the conversation. I feel like I just heard from God. Mm. I feel like that message was was pointed <laughs> right at me. Hmm. And, you know, it's, God does things like that. Hmm. And, and, and when he does those things, he's the one that gets the glory and people, uh, people turn to him. They don't think, Oh, you're so that great. Josh, he's really smart. Right. You know, right. <laughs> that, that, uh, that Josh, he's really something, you know, it's like, oh, okay. Um, right. We're just being no, servants using the gifts and opportunities God has given us. And yep. and in doing so, it brings him glory uh, that we, his servants, are are able to participate along with him in this uh, glorious salvation that is offered through Christ. Yeah, it's like being a midwife, <laughs> right? Your job is your job is just to catch the baby, 
but you know god is the one that is making birth Hmm. happen you know it's um god is the one who has designed it to work that way you just you just you just show up stick your hands out (laughs) yes um you know you just tell them hey this is how you be saved yeah this is this is what gives some encouragement gives some help yeah uh for anyone who's been a part of that, it is uh, also a terrifying and and amazing process, um, the way God has designed it. But uh, terrifying in in a good way, I guess, uh, awe inspiring. Uh, just that that it can work. And um, but yes, that being there, being a part of, and encouraging along, and then just seeing the result. But it's it's God. You know, it goes back to the. You know, I think of First Corinthians three, Apollos and. Paul, Paulus planted, I watered, God gave the growth, that God is the one who is bringing all of this to bear, but he's called us to participate in it along with him. And so to kind of put a bow on this, uh, we see the response of what did Peter and his cohort get to participate in? And again, it was not merely showing up and, and being able to share this message with Cornelius and he responds, but there's an entire house of people that are hearing and then... And uh, this goes to what I don't think that Peter and, and the cohort from uh, Jerusalem could have been in any way, or from Joppa, I guess they were, they were in Joppa before, but the that they could have not in any way been prepared for was after Peter preaches this gospel message, they they respond, and the Holy Spirit fell on them. Uh, all who heard and received it. And so they received the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out on these Gentiles and they're hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So Peter declares then, and this is a quote starting in verse 47, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. So this clear next step, we have our clear next step. They respond to the message of the gospel. They receive the Holy Spirit. This is an affirmation to Peter and probably to all of the the Jewish apostles and Jewish uh, followers of Jesus that this really is legit. This is confirming this is not just some odd little one-off thing, but this is something that God is doing. God is in the midst of this and is not only has not only arranged it, but now is giving it his full endorsement uh, by this display of power through the Holy Spirit uh, in the same way we read about in Acts 2 uh, at Pentecost when the Spirit falls on uh, the followers of Jesus, uh, and then that gives Peter the opportunity to preach to other Jews who did not believe yet uh, in in Jesus as the Messiah. And so, anyway, just an amazing end to this, and something that it's likely they would have had zero way to uh, anticipate, and was probably a shock to them as it was happening, and uh, probably shocking for everyone else to hear as they went back and started to tell the story. Um, and I think it gives some context for the Jerusalem Council that is uh, going to appear in Acts 15, I believe. Yeah, and I, I think it's um, it's important to note the the kind of the flow of the story that Luke is telling here, and this acts as an important transition. So early on, the uh, the gospel 
is is going out. You know, there was a persecution uh, because of Stephen's uh, martyrdom, and uh, or centered around Stephen's martyrdom, and uh, the Jews spread all over the place, and they're sharing the gospel uh, with people, but almost exclusively with Jews. Now, perhaps the uh, the Ethiopian eunuch was not a Jew um, or even a proselyte. I don't, I don't know, but and maybe there were other Gentiles that were hearing the message. But you know, by and large, it's this is a message going out to the Jews. It's um, it's a very Jewish thing right now. Until uh, until now, and God has prepared Peter, and it's important that it's Peter. As one of the apostles, uh, so that we can see that there's continuity, that this isn't a new message, this isn't a different plan, this isn't uh, a different flock, even. This is one flock, you know, one shepherd, and but it's opening up to the Gentiles. And now this is we're going to see as we move forward, we're going to see more of the the ministry of the gospel to the Gentiles, and then Paul's going to Paul's going to pick this up uh, in the forthcoming chapters. Well, thank you again for joining us. I hope you find this edifying and encouraging and uh, insightful as far as uh, reflecting on the opportunity we have today to continue participating in the work that God began back with Peter and Paul and others uh, nearly 2,000 years ago. Um, And that same continuity is still at play, that same gospel uh, that Peter delivered to Cornelius. We can deliver uh, to those that God has given us in our uh, spheres of influence, friends, family, neighbors, co-workers. And so being open and encouraging to uh, asking God for opportunities to share and uh, being prepared to share the hope of the gospel with those around you. And so, again, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to being with you next time. Engage Your World exists to help you know, share, and grow in your faith. Thanks for tuning in.